Expert Insights is an ongoing medical education podcast. The Carl Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please click on the link and complete the episode's post-test. This podcast forum is brought to you to share expertise and insights within our integrated delivery system to help us improve the health of the people we serve and achieve world-class accessible care. This is Expert Insights. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. We all know that a sunburn can be very painful, but that's not the most important reason for using sunscreen. My guest today is Dr. Craig Neitzel. He's a dermatologist with the Carl Foundation Hospital. Dr. Neitzel, let's start with a little lesson because not everybody knows, not even other providers always know about UVA, UVB. What do they do to our skin? Well, it's important to know that both of them can cause damage to our skin. Some people think that if they're sitting by a window, some sunlight can't penetrate or even through a car window, and actually a lot of that's not true. So some of those can get through, and both of them, again, can cause sun damage. And ultimately what we're worried about is more of the skin damage that comes with it, and especially skin cancer. There are, as we lead into this, three major types of skin cancers that we see, and we actually have, in the United States alone, millions of cases of these every year. Current literature will say that for a basal cell skin cancer, which is the most common, there are probably almost 4 million cases in the United States alone. The next level one is what's called a squamous cell skin cancer, and there are easily over a million cases of those a year. And then further on, the one that we're actually even most concerned about is what's called a melanoma. And those are the ones that have a much higher fatality rate, and there are hundreds of thousands of those a year. So the whole goal when we talk about sun damage is prevention. And most of these, especially the basal and the squamous cell skin cancers, can be prevented because they're more due to a cumulative sunlight exposure, whereas the melanomas tend to be more related to a sunburn. So ideally, starting from day one of life, if we can be good about our sun protection, then hopefully we can really prevent these or even if we develop them, really minimize them. What a great explanation. Dr. Neitzel, How often should we be visiting a dermatologist to see about our skin? And for other primary care providers, what do you want them to tell their patients about when it's time to see a dermatologist? Well, it's a great question. And ideally, it'd be fantastic if everybody could do their own self-skin exams monthly or at least quarterly. And if you're lucky enough to have a significant other that can look at areas like your back and your backside and back of legs, that's also important because those tend to be critical areas for where melanomas develop. We think, especially if somebody hasn't had skin cancers and they're healthy and let's say they're good about their sun protection, at least an annual skin exam is definitely valid. Now, if they don't have many problems and their primary care physician is comfortable in doing it, that's totally acceptable, and they do a great job at working with us. And especially if they see something that looks abnormal, they can deal with it or refer to us for those types of exams. We typically, though, if somebody has had a skin cancer, we see them more frequently, especially for a basal or squamous cell skin cancer. A lot of dermatologists will see those patients every six months for a while, and if they remain cancer-free, then annually. Melanomas are a little bit different because we see patients more frequently over the first few years, maybe even every three to four months, 
then every six months, then even annually after about a five-year mark. But the biggest key is really paying attention to your own body, watching for anything that may have changed. And we can get into that too, because it's kind of part of your question is, what am I looking for? And typically, That's exactly right. Head, That's where yeah. we were going with this. So tell us, what are we looking for? I figured that'd be a good lead in. So essentially for the two most common types, the basal and the squamous cell skin cancers, these typically tend to be bumps that don't go away. It's something like it'd be a red pimple or waxy-like bump for a basal cell skin cancer where you think, geez, I think this pimple has actually been there, or this bump has been there for a few months and won't resolve. Sometimes they'll crust and scab, and particularly, too, they can also bleed. But they will also try to heal at the same time, so they cycle through this a lot. So if somebody has found a lesion that keeps crusting and scabbing and bleeding and crusting and scabbing and tries to heal, those are the major things that we want to see for that. And it's not something that if something's only been there a few days that we typically get really worried about it unless it's really rapidly expanding. But if somebody says, boy, I think this has been there for a few months and hasn't resolved, that's what we want to know about. Now, melanoma is a little bit different because those can also crust, scab, bleed, and not heal, but they don't always. Those are the ones that look a little more different where they're more irregular. They have multiple colors. They look irregular in their border. And they also have sometimes something that's growing a little rapidly as well. So it's something that when people look for those things, I think some of the bigger words that I use, is it changing? Is it different? Has it been something that's progressing? And if that's something that somebody sees, then we want to know about it. There are some lesions that people can come in for that can make some changes like that that can be benign, but that's great. But at least we've ruled that out, and then we can all kind of sleep well with that. Or if we see something else suspicious, then maybe we do need to treat it. Well, let's talk about treatment. If you do detect that someone has skin cancer, whether it's, you know, something that they spotted or a loved one, what do they do next? How do you tell if it's cancer and what treatment options are available if it is? Sure. It's a good question. Well, first of all, coming in is probably the biggest thing, recognizing that something's going on or coming from their regular skin exams and we notice something that needs to be treated. Now, some of these can be in a precancerous realm where they're early on and sometimes we'll treat those what's called cryotherapy, which is treatment with liquid nitrogen where that's applied to the individual lesion. But let's say if we're suspicious for it being a skin cancer, like a basal or squamous cell skin cancer, or even a melanoma, then we will do a biopsy of it. And there are different ways of doing a biopsy. You can do something called a shave biopsy, where if we're suspicious more for a basal or squamous cell skin cancer, essentially under local anesthesia, where we numb it up, you shave that spot off, and we send all these in to have them looked at underneath the microscope for pathology. And it's the same thing with a melanoma. Although typically, if we suspect something to be a melanoma, more often than that, we'll do something called a punch biopsy, where you take a piece of the lesion or you try to cut out the whole lesion, what we call an excisional biopsy. Regardless to that, though, we still send everything in to have it looked underneath the microscope for pathology, because that will then tell us what we're dealing with. And sometimes with the basal or squamous cell skin cancer, you can remove it all with doing the biopsy if they're small and early. If it's a melanoma, that being more aggressive, essentially all the time they're going to have to have more surgery, but depending upon its depth and there are some other characteristics for it that might make it more aggressive, sometimes people will have to get set up with 
an oncologist for chemotherapy, and there are a lot of other newer therapies that are out there that we work with the oncologist in getting somebody treated for a melanoma. The bottom line for this whole thing, though, is for every one of these, the earlier you catch it in its development, the better bar none. Because even for a melanoma, the ones that we are super concerned with, if we catch it early and being in situ or very thin, then there's a lot of times the only thing the patient will need is surgery and then their regular skin exams. And the five-year survival rate is much greater in that category than if it's something that's deeper and more invasive. And we can even say the same thing for a basal and a squamous cell skin cancer. It's fairly rare for a basal cell skin cancer to spread to the rest of the body, but they can become very invasive and very destructive. And then a squamous cell skin cancer can metastasize. So it's not a zero-sum affair with any of these, but kind of the long-winded way of saying it, we evaluate it, pretty much standard therapies to do a biopsy of it, see what it shows, then we decide treatment from there. What a great explanation, doctor. So boomers, we were never really aware of the risks. If we (laughs) use sunscreen now, are we decreasing the risk or did we do that damage at our younger years and the damage is done and and we can't do anything about it now? That's the $64,000 question. And I smile at you saying it because it's not a never too late situation. And a lot of studies, and even what we'll see clinically is that even let's say somebody starts today about being good about their sun protection, and we'll get into that in a second. But you can actually prevent further damage, because like we talked about before, it's cumulative. So every little bit that we get adds up ever since the day we're born to the day we die. And by preventing more damage, then hopefully we'll help preventing more of the development of new lesions and the progression of old lesions. So inherently, it makes sense that even if there's not been a day in your life where you've been good about your sun protection, if you start today, you'll definitely have an advantage for that. Now, I think the obvious part to that, though, is is that if, if you start day one, you will be way better off on how your skin does. And we're not even talking from a skin cancer standpoint. We're also talking about its appearance standpoint. Wrinkling, freckling, age spots, blotchy skin, skin that's thin, bruises and tears easily. A lot of that is due to chronic sun damage. So if we can really start early, way better. But I do agree This is something that we've really learned over the last several decades of knowing that we have to be good about our sun protection. Well, so tell us how to do that. You know, there's a lot of sun protection on the market. You go into the pharmacy and boy, there's 50 different things from 10 to 70. What are we looking for? What do you want us to know about sunscreen? And doctor, while you're answering that, does it expire? Should we get new sunscreen every year? All the above. So we'll start with the number one thing is avoidance. The more you can do things such as staying in the shade, staying under umbrellas, trying to do things earlier in the day and later in the day as opposed to straight at noontime, that's a big part to it. The second part to it, hats and clothing, trying to wear a wide brim hat. And we're a little bit lucky nowadays, too, because there are so many different makers of sun protective clothing now in brands. It's lighter weight. It dries easily. It's the same thing that we use and use in my own kids, what are called swim shirts or sun shirts. They're great because they're long sleeves. They don't wipe off or sweat off. They're easy to take on and off. They dry quickly. So even if they come out of the pool or off of the beach, they can put them back on and get back in again. So those are really big parts to that. Now, the the question comes to when it comes to sun protection with sunscreens, there are a few keys to that. The first is 
trying to put it on 30 minutes even before you go out. So you're not trying to do it as you're running out the door, and it gives it a better chance to stay in place and get spread all over your body. Typically, we tell people you want to use a sunscreen even from a daily use of at least a 30. Now, it really doesn't have to be much higher than a 50 because it really plateaus out in its ability to block light. But we want, and most of them do now, it should say to block UVA and UVB light and have a minimum of a 30 for a daily use. And I bring this up with a lot of patients too, and you probably hear me reiterating daily use because even a lot of our sunlight exposure comes from a daily exposure. When we try to add it up, if you think about going to the car, walking to the mailbox, going out for lunch, walking back and forth to class, it really adds up to all of a sudden people like, well, geez, maybe I did have an hour or two of exposure where I wasn't even just laying out or mowing the grass. So that's where the sun protection really plays a big role in that. Now, most sunscreens, typically I tell people, get a new sunscreen every year because if they overwinter or they're, you're left in your car or in your golf bag or they're out at the pool, I mean, they still get exposed to all these temperature changes, so it may break them down. And secondly, is inherently, it just makes sense to get a new one every year. So essentially, you're getting a fresh, fully active sunscreen. And truly, again, the biggest keys, using one that has UVA and UVB protection and has a number of at least a 30, but it really doesn't have to be any higher than a 50. Now, sometimes I have patients say that they got one that's a 70 or an 80, but they like it better because they like its vehicle or it's easier for them to spread. And I have no problems with that. It's just that it doesn't gain them much more over what a 50 would be. But if they find, but if I find that they like it, then I know they're going to use it and reapply it. And that's the other crux of the matter is making sure that they reapply it as well. It isn't just that you get to put it on before you go out the door and you have this feeling that I'm okay for the whole day and I can have hours of sunlight exposure. And we don't want people to have that kind of false thought with that. The idea is, is that if you put it on, ideally, especially if you're out hot, sweaty, swimming, towel drying, whatever, that you should reapply it at least every two to three hours. It's like I tell a lot of golfers. It's like if you're playing golf, after you finish the first nine holes, try to reapply it before you go back out for the second nine holes. Wow, what great information. You are an excellent educator, doctor. So as we wrap up, what would you like other providers to know about counseling their patients on the importance of sunscreen, on the importance of avoiding sunburn at all cost, and when we should be seeing our dermatologist and having that overall body check? I think it's important for them to discuss this with every patient that they see. I almost put it akin to talking about smoking, weight loss, and blood pressure because the the number one thing of cancers in the, well, I'd say the world, but especially in the United States right now, is skin cancer, something that's preventable. So if you're going to talk about stop smoking and losing weight and doing these things, your sun protection should be easily part of that. It just inherently should be part of every one of their visits, especially for their yearly physical. Stressing, like we talked about, hats and clothing and sun protection. And the one thing that we really like to try to tell people is there's no such thing as a safe tan. And I I try to remind myself to make sure I tell that to everybody, too, because people think, oh, I get this base tan and then I'm good. Well, there really isn't much evidence that shows that that prevents sunburns. And like we talked about before, every little bit that we get adds up. So it's still an additive effect to that. And I think that they should really reiterate to their patients as well, what are they looking for? 
looking for changes to moles, looking for lesions that don't heal. And there are a lot of primary care physicians that are just excellent at doing that. And some of them are very comfortable in doing biopsies. The flip side of that, though, is I think it's inherent in, from us in dermatology is for us to be available that if somebody has a spot, that we're available to take care of it. We work really well with our primary care physicians here at Carl. We have a fantastic relationship with them so that they know that if somebody needs to get in, we do everything in our power to get them seen as soon as possible so that we put their minds at rest. And sometimes, too, if we can take care of it sooner, then we don't even have to do a biopsy of it or can maintain it and still try to impress upon them how much they need to be diligent with their sun protection and getting them in the habit of what to watch for for their overall skin regimen. What great information. Dr. Neitzel, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise. What really a great segment. That wraps up this episode of Expert Insights with the Carl Foundation Hospital. For a listing of Carl providers and to view Carl-sponsored educational activities, head on over to our website at carlconnect.com for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. If you found this podcast as informative as I did, please share with other providers, share with your friends and family on social media, and be sure to check out all the other interesting podcasts in our library. I'm Melanie Cole.